Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and full-time Virginia Tech football beat writer and recruiting writer for TechSideline.com. We are here for another brand new full episode of the TSL podcast. As always, I'm joined by the bosses and the the, the big wigs over here at TSL, uh, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Uh, Will, how are we doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm dressed in a three-piece suit to honor how awesome this podcast is. I can verify that he is not dressed in a three-piece suit. <laughs> Chris, how are we doing, man? I'm doing well. Are you guys looking forward to facing a team that you don't really have a deep hatred for? Dang, that's a good question. Um, uh, I feel well, like so. One of the things we've been ranting about, I've been ranting. We ranted a little bit internally, um, and I've been fussing to friends about this. I was just looking over some uh, ad revenue and traffic stats for last October, okay. because uh, lately our, our ad revenue has been good. We've been doing some things on the programming side that stay on the site, folks. Yeah. So so I've been. Um, We've done some programming stuff that's upped our ad revenue. Well, it's not doing that great this month versus last year. So I went and looked at last year, and last year Tech had two Thursday night games. What were they? Uh, was George been Pitt, Pitt and Miami? Miami. Yeah, and they so won both they of those. Crushed games. Miami. Yeah, that was a. Then they had a great game game. against Pitt. You know, which hadn't happened yet. That actually happened October twenty eighth of last year. Yeah. In general, last October was a way more interesting and exciting month than this October has been. What do you have? You got a road game at BC. You got an Which off weekend. You got, yeah, you know, we got a little worked up over UNC, but, you know, it's one of those. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but so you got BC not playing, uh, UNC, now Duke. It's just been a really quiet month. And no, I'm not excited. I want to get to the games that matter that the fans care about, that they get excited about. That that pit game last year, our fans went bananas after that thing was over. I mean, that was the first time Tech has won at Heinz Field, right? And it was just all the, the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the subplots to that game. Narduzzi yeah. making a fool out of himself. Yeah, uh, that was... Bucky and Isaiah making all these great catches, and Fuente coming over to the sideline saying, this is what they're going to do, <laughs> this is what we're going to do, just keep doing it. You know, that's great stuff, and our fans went bananas. Well, nobody's going to be going bananas over this weekend's game unless it's for a really bad reason. Well, you know, a- after the UNC game, Cam Phillips obviously made that comment about how, you know, every coach and player <laughs> has the one game that they get up more for than others. And for, for Justin Fuente, that was that was North Carolina. And it's just the polar opposite this week. Nobody, player, coach, assistant, uh, support staffer, is ever going to say anything negative about yeah, Duke I football crush David Cutler. <laughs> yeah, how could you want to do that to David Cutler? I mean, like, <laughs> such I mean, a nice guy. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like, like David Cutcliffe is the exact opposite of what people perceive Larry Fedora to be. At, the, at least this is how it seems to me. I don't think it's so much Fedora. I don't think Fedora is a bad dude. It's just that whole program, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I would I would think polar opposites would be like Cutcliffe and Narduzzi. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? it's true. The, 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 those two guys don't seem like they have anything alike other than the fact that they coach football. <laughs> they coach football. I, I think Tex coaches, like when it comes to the coaches that were retained, Bud Foster, Charlie Wiles, you know, they, those guys go back far enough to to know the Butch Davis staff. And, and John at Blake UNC. and all that group, yeah, at UNC. And at Miami, I guess. And at Miami, too, right, right. So, <laughs> so I, I think it – yeah, I don't think it's a fedora thing. I, I think it's I, – I think it's – I think it is to a certain extent, maybe. Yeah. But, but if Larry Fedora quit his job tomorrow, that would not change my feelings about North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's go ahead and start recapping this North Carolina game. Obviously – this game got out of hand pretty fast. I mean, obviously, Tech's offense didn't score much at all in the first quarter or the first half, uh, but Tech's defense and special teams really just kind of set the tone early 
Will, were you surprised by how quickly this game got out of hand? I, I was, and specifically, you know, you can't predict defensive scores and special team scores. They happen, you know. And, yeah. And, but what? So they're kind of always surprising. Um, what really surprised me, what I did not anticipate, was Settle and Walker dominating the inside of their offensive line like that. When, you know, my, my window into these things is, in addition to reading Chris's previews, you know, and, and editing them and then making my predictions based on that, I make up the roster cards. And I noticed that UNC's uh, offensive line was, I think, two seniors, two uh, graduate students, and a sophomore. You know, that's a lot of experience. That's a really old offensive line. I, you know, I, don't, I didn't know anything about experience, talent level, all that. I just knew it was an experienced line. And I was surprised at the way Settle and Walker just blew those guys up repeatedly. I mean, I, I believe Tim Settle had, what, three and a half tackles for loss yeah, and a yeah. sack. Ricky Walker had a sack and a half, plus the, the fumble recovery for a touchdown. I mean, Tech's defense just really kind of put Chas Surratt and Brennan Harris on their behind really quick. Yeah, they really did. They dominated that game. And, you know, let me say that I don't think being a grad transfer in football uh, means as much as being a grad grad transfer in basketball. You know, there's so much transferring involved in basketball these days. Yeah. Uh, You know, you could could be playing for a mid-major team like Marist or somebody like that and averaging 20 points a game. Well, you can go in and really help somebody. You know, Louisville had a couple of guys like that. Uh, two years ago, a couple yeah, of, or yeah, was it this past year? I, I think it was two years ago. I think their top two scores were grad transfers, and, and you know they really helped that team make it. Well, I run. didn't mean to say the UNC guys were grad transfers; they were listed as some schools do that, that they are. But in, they, instead of redshirt senior or whatever, they list GR. They are grad class. transfers, though. are they? Yes. Okay. Uh, for, from what I read, they're, they're grad transfers. Good so, uh, I just don't. Th- I think if, if you're a grad transfer in football. You're leaving because you weren't playing. And <laughs> yeah, if you weren't playing, it means it you weren't very good. So if you have to go out there and recruit a bunch of grad transfers, you don't have much talent. So UNC played three grad transfers in that game, two offensive linemen and a quarterback. Yeah. And I, I really thought their offensive line was going to be uh, better this year, but apparently not. Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, but, not. but I, I did think uh, did think they were in bad shape when they went out inside signed the Harris kid out of LSU. Um, wow, came in as a bad. grad transfer, and I don't I don't mean that in a mean way. He's just he's bad. just not a good player, and he was a he wasn't a good player at LSU. Now he was surrounded by plenty of talent at LSU, but he was still a guy completing fifty five percent of his passes and just just was a very ineffective football player. He has less talent around him at UNC, but which makes him even worse. But, yeah, when they went and got him, I was like, man, they must be in pretty bad shape. And I think I don't think Fedora expected Trubisky to be good enough to declare for the draft. Yeah, you know, other, I, I didn't. I never saw uh, Trubisky as being the number two pick in the draft. Well, well, here's the thing. He only started one year at college. He was behind yeah. Marquise Williams for two years. And, and, and Marquise wasn't that great. Right, right. He, at times he was good, he was, but he, he was inconsistent. C- correct. He was inconsistent. So you're th- sitting there thinking, yeah, they really like Trubisky. He's got – he's got certainly has talent and everything like that. But is he – you would have never thought he would be – Let's just call him a one-and-done guy, a one-year starter and, and, and then leave early. So North Carolina was not prepared. So when they went out and got Brandon Harris, I was like, man, they must not be in good shape at quarterback. Here's the thing about Brandon Harris, too, is that he's coming from an offense at LSU that is heavily predicated on smash mouth, running, running the football. Yeah. He's a bad using, you know, Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not a good fit for Larry Fedora's system, which loves to spread the ball around and throw a lot of passes, whether they be short or long passes. And uh... – I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, this can Don't set. You hate when that happens. This can set programs back. You know, one of the things that Chris has talked about for years is Michael Vick leaving early, put uh, put Virginia Tech off their their game for a few years. They had to play Brian Randall earlier than they would have wanted yeah. to. You know, and in effect, it can affect your program for years when you start doing things like playing Chaz Surratt early when he's not ready. You know, who's who knows what's going on with that guy mentally. He's the guy who said, "I don't know how you fix this." You yeah, know? You, you know, you th- think about, think about this. If Michael Vick comes back for his junior season, that can redshirt Brian Randall, and then Brian Randall's a redshirt senior for that 2005 Miami yeah. game that Marcus Vick, you know, tossed the ball over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He just tossed the ball over the field to Miami that entire night. Does Virginia Tech win that game with Brian Randall? Because the previous year he went down to Miami and beat the exact same Miami team. I mean, those teams, yeah. both those teams brought everybody back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't when, – when you, when you do things like that, they can have consequences years down, For years. years down the road. 
I was just really surprised by how bad North Carolina looked. I mean, I just I, I couldn't really wrap my head around the fact that they just did not have the talent to make up for all of those injuries at all those positions. And you know, they, they, they don't really have a lot of excuses when you think about it. North Carolina has all the resources. They've got uh, they've got a good amount of money. They're, they're in a, a recruiting hotbed almost in North Carolina. They're mm-hmm. not far from Georgia. Yet they go out there. They were sloppy. They had 14 penalties uh, for, 100, false starts. for 100 yards. I mean, Two on special teams. Turned the ball over a ton. The, I mean, and obviously the fan base barely showed me. I, I sit in the, the press box all the time in Lane Stadium, and I can usually tell when there's a good fan base coming in because that little sliver in the East stands is you know pretty pretty full. But Carolina's allotment, there was barely anybody there. Yeah, you know, it was not impressive. And I, I don't think they've – they, I think they started out recruiting well uh, under Fedora. They signed some good classes, and obviously he inherited some, some guys from the previous staff. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how talented they are right now. And they are injured too. Now let's be fair. Of course, definitely. You know, you know let's, let's be fair. When, when you're missing a, a quarter of your scholarship players, basically, then that, that's going to really affect you. Um, but – I th- North Carolina's capped when it comes to football. Let's face it; they got a basketball player on their jerseys. Okay, <laughs> I mean they're only going to be so good in, in football. Uh, um, one of their commitments from Richmond for the 2019 class, a guy who I don't, Akeem Beeman, Akeem Beeman, who I don't believe will stick by his commitment long term. Uh, he's a guy that can, could end up at Virginia Tech or somewhere out of state. He's visiting this week for the Duke game, I believe. He had an interview this with 247 Sports this week where. He talked about his visit to UNC for the Louisville game, and he straight up said there were direct quotes from him in the article saying it's not a passionate fan base, and the crowd was empty and dead and everything like that. And you know, so so if you're if you're at UNC and you're trying to recruit against Clemson or any other program in this area with a pulse, with a pulse that actually <laughs> has fans, uh, you know that's a disadvantage for you. Come to Blacksburg. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and stick on recruiting because one of the big things I wanted to talk about this week was Virginia Tech's 2018 recruiting class. I know that there's still a lot of time until signing day. We do have the early signing period coming up in December. Um, but if you look at Tech's class, it's almost done mm-hmm. at this point. They have 21 commitments. They're pretty spread out almost at this point, except maybe at defensive back. It seems like they've loaded up a little bit at that spot. Uh, Chris, when you look at the over, just the overall class, what are your overall impressions of this? I think it's a pretty good class. Um, I have not done not done a Power Five offer analysis, yeah, for for them yet, and that's my new basis going forward for how I rate recruiting classes and things like that. But I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, ESPN has, you know, I think seven or eight members of this class are four star players. Um, they, they've got guys. That, and, and you really like ESPN's evaluation. I right? like the fact that they actually actual have professional scouting reports. You, you can tell that they're professionally made up by people who know what they're talking about. Um, so I, 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 and ESPN has its weaknesses too in the fact that if, you know, there's kind of a late arriving prospect, so to speak, who blows up a senior year, then, then ESPN will miss the boat on, on that guy. So, so to speak, and they, they, and they don't have the depth of the network. They don't they, have the they, depth of the network. They do the top three like or four hundred guys, right, right? And that's it, right? But but you know, they're 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 scouting of the main players, so to speak, is very good and very accurate. I think yeah. so. And you can argue that once you get a, past the top three or four hundred guys, what does it matter? Oh, yeah, it's kind know? of a crapshoot, and that's why I'm saying it. I've started looking at, and, and well, honestly, once you get past the top fifty or seventy guys, I mean, I, I've said before that. I mean, on the aggregate, teams that bring in more four-star players are going to do better. But it's deeper than that because there's a big difference between Ryan Williams and David Wilson, who were ranked between 40 and 50 in the country, than somebody else who's a four-star player by rivals that only had five Power Five offers as opposed to... Uh, Isaiah Ford was, was a three-star player yeah. by rivals. Isaiah Ford had like 25 offers. We've had some four-star guys that had five or fewer offers, so that's why the you got to go deeper than the star rankings, in, in my opinion. And and that's and I don't I admit that I don't know how you do that unless you start doing half stars and things like that. Well, that, yeah. t- that takes a lot of manpower, also. You know, manpower costs money. It, it sure, yeah, absolutely. So you know, that's what I've tr- I've tried the last couple of years to just start analyzing power five offers and things like that. I think it's a little more 
indicative of, of teams overall talent levels but what you run into there is how many of these offers are quote unquote or, or committable. committable and things yeah, like, like that so it's J- not a James Graham system. James Graham who tech just got a commitment mm-hmm. from he doesn't he have a just a boatload of listed he's offers got, including Alabama I don't yeah I think most of his offers are legit I, I'm sure I really doubt his Alabama's offers I think that the, the the biggest thing with James Graham obviously if you if you don't if you're not familiar with the situation James Graham committed to Virginia Tech after the North Carolina visit he visited for that game um, I think the thing with him is is that teams were offering him to only play athlete. I think a lot of teams wanted him to be a guy who could be a receiver, running back type, maybe a defensive back player. Whereas there, there were some, he I think originally he wanted to stick with the quarterback spot because he plays yeah. quarterback for his high school team, hmm. and and he really kind of fits the wishbone triple option style of quarterback. If he's going to play quarterback at the college level, that's what he's best at doing. But I think that now that he's kind of opened up his recruitment to just, you know, I'll play wherever, mm-hmm. I think a lot more schools are interested because he's a pretty good athlete. I, you know, I read some articles on him, and there was an article at one point where he said Alabama was recruiting him the hardest, and they were telling him he would get a chance to play quarterback. And it seemed like recruit playing quarterback was extremely important to him. In fact, I read, read a couple of articles where that was pretty much the direct quote. Uh, apparently, it's not as important to him anymore. So, I so think, somebody got to him and I, talked to him. And... I, yeah, I think he got a lot of, of offers early as an athlete, and he was kind of ignoring those schools. Uh, and now that he's open to being an athlete and coming in and playing wide receiver or running back or DB or whatever, you know, maybe those schools have moved on. I I don't know, but but you know, I think I think it's obvious that he has the talent level to play at this level. Sometimes recruiting is just about timing more than anything else. Definitely. Well, one of the positions that, and, that Tech has loaded up on in this class so far is defensive back. They've got uh, five defensive backs already. Um, they've yeah, got least. Braxton Clark, Jermaine Waller, DJ Croson, uh, Nasir Peoples, Shamari Connor, and then you've got guys who are athletes who could play defensive back, Nadir Thompson, Armani Chapman, James Graham. I know Tech is losing some some guys after the season in terms of Greg Stroman, um, possibly Adonis Alexander, Brandon Faison Brandon could Faison, go, yeah. uh, Terrell Edmonds could go to the draft. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that they've maybe overloaded a little bit on that spot, or do you think that bringing in that number of guys is, is a good thing? You know, if you've, if you've followed any college football program for a long time, you see it all the time. Oh, we're taking on too many of these kind of guys. And next thing you know, you're down to your fifth or sixth string guy. You know, I think the running back situation at Tech was like that, what, a couple of years ago where you're we like, played man. played six or seven running backs. Man, we have a ton of running backs. We, and then, we were playing Joel Caleb, and then he ended up transferring to, I think, Hampton for last season and didn't even get on the field for for Hampton. Yeah, yeah. so you, you look at the roster and it looks like there, there's a lot of guys, but it's funny how sometimes it just never seems like it's enough. So, yeah, it looks like they're loading up, but these, these things will weed themselves out. Chris, are are you still as high on Quincy Patterson as you were when he first committed? Yeah, um, as as long as people don't expect the world out of him. That's the thing is I right feel like away. people need yeah. To, yeah. to to temper their he's, immediate he's expectations. He's got a lot of talent. He's got as much long-term potential as any quarterback Tech has brought into the program, but it's not going to happen overnight. He comes from an offense where they run the ball almost all the time. Nobody had taught him how to go through progressions until this past summer. Yeah, the stat is they run the ball 80% of the time, and, and his coaches at Elite 11 said, and when they do pass, it's a very simple Well, he, Well, here's game. the thing. He has 115 pass attempts wow. so far this season. Yeah. You know how many rushing attempts he has? 115. Yeah. So right. he's, I mean, he's basically doing a 50-50 thing here at this point. Yeah, exactly. And that's not even counting the times he hands the ball off to the and running back. Yeah, and, yeah. And he's only been, um, he's only been playing quarterback since his freshman season as a right. high schooler. So I encourage everybody to get excited about Quincy, but don't expect him to come in here and, and, and compete for the starting job right away or be a good player early in his career. I mean, I, I think he might be a guy who doesn't develop until he's a redshirt sophomore or redshirt junior just because of his lack of experience. But I think his overall, his ceiling is extremely high. Will, Jason Stame, who writes for us and does a lot of great recruiting stuff, he had an interview with Quincy that was published yesterday on TSL. If you haven't read it yet, and go read it if you're a subscriber. And if you're not a subscriber, subscribe. And go read it. Yes. Uh, Quincy Patterson was asked about, you know, how strong he is with his commitment. And he's maintained throughout the whole process that he's he's 100% solid. Um, and he said that he's had other coaches telling him that he's be, that Tech is going to switch him to a tight end when he enrolls on campus. I mean, that's – I mean, look, I, I don't know that – I'm pr- pretty, pretty sure that – 
Tech is not going to switch Quincy Patterson oh, yeah, to tight I'm end. Pretty but sure. I mean, I mean, didn't that just kind of catch you off guard a little bit yeah, when you read so, that? So, so we were sitting around talking about this in the office this morning. And, and if you're trying to negative recruit Virginia Tech, and you're tell that's what you're telling Quincy Patterson, you're really reaching. You know, I mean, <laughs> if, in, the, in the past they could say things like, "Well, Tech's offense is terrible. You won't develop your skills." Blah blah and blah. That, that was fair and accurate negative recruiting, really. Totally, one hundred percent fair. Yeah. Well, now what are you going to say? Because you got Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson coaching, yeah, and they've they've got an excellent track record with quarterbacks. So what are you going for? You go for oh, they're going to put you a tight end. Yeah, sure they are. Yeah, right. He's I the, mean, he, he was a he, he was one of the twelve elite eleven, which again doesn't make any sense. One of the twelve elite eleven quarterbacks that yeah. was chosen by Nike. No, wait a minute. I watched that show. It wound up being twelve guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah elite eleven is actually twelve now. Yeah, mm, yeah. Math are it's, hard. It's, well, it's kind of like the Big Ten and the Big Twelve and and all okay. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he he is an elite. You know, he's one of the top twelve quarterbacks in the nation according to Nike. Uh-huh. Which, granted, according to Trent Dilfer. Take that with a grain of salt. Yes. Well, one, and one of the guys they invited had never even started a game at quarterback, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So, again, so they're also take inviting it with a grain potential. of salt. But right. look, at his, look at his stats, look at his measurables, uh, all these things that scouts, whether they're NFL quarterbacks or, or just people that follow the recruiting scene in general, the guy's got potential as a quarterback. Tech's not going to move him to tight end. Trent, Dil- Trent Dilfer works with the top high school quarterbacks in the country every year at this Elite 11 camp. And he looked Quincy Patterson in the eye and told him he had a chance to win a national championship and a Heisman Trophy and compared him to Jameis Winston and said he's one of the most brilliant people to ever come through the Elite 11. He is not going to move to tight end, uh, you know, unless he just doesn't pick up the quarterback position. I mean, Virginia Tech is not even thinking about him playing tight end. And if I was going to negative recruit him, I'd be telling him, look, Josh Jackson's a redshirt freshman. You know, you're not going to get a chance to start. If he starts all year, all his whole career, you might not get a chance to start until you're a redshirt junior. If you're going to negative recruit him, you should do it like that. Tech fans would probably love Quincy Patterson to turn into Jameis Winston, but fortunately for Tech fans, there are no publics here in Blacksburg, so you don't have to worry about any crab leggings that's <laughs> going on with that. Uh, just going to recruiting sense in general, Will, do you feel like that Justin Fuente has improved Virginia Tech's recruiting I don't know, prestige enough so far through the one full recruiting class and I guess, a th- a, you know, three quarters at this point. How much How much time you got for me to answer that question? <laughs> we got as much as much time as you got, man. Um, we're all we're all on your dime right now. <laughs> uh, so I'll, g- I'll give you some thoughts. They're not necessarily in order of priority or organized or anything like that. These are just things I think. Um a lot of coaches come in and get an immediate recruiting bump, and uh, that really hasn't happened with Fuente um, for whatever reason. You know, I don't a lot know. of guys have that newness factor. It has from a Power Five scholarship offer standpoint, right? It's got but, a bump, but in but terms of hey, Virginia Tech's recruiting in the top ten now, right? You know, correct. that that kind yeah. of thing isn't happening. Like you look at, uh, it's not like I sat and studied this, but people tell me that Durkin at Maryland has put together a very good recruiting staff. And they're recruiting at a higher level. You look at when James Franklin came to Penn State. Penn State was recruiting okay. Now they're recruiting great. You know, so some guys get uh, get bumps for whatever reason. That's not really what's happening here. I think Justin Fuente, when he puts together a staff, puts them together for their knowledge, their expertise, their ability to develop. You know, uh, recruiting is important to him. He works hard at it, and they do do that. They're organized and they work hard at it. But they're not, you know, yada 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 salesman types so i think that um i think that with him and the way he runs a football program one of the things that going is is going to have to happen here and it's chicken and egg type stuff is that in order to recruit better virginia tech is going to have to become a sexier program we've talked about that before they're on their way. They're winning a lot of football games. They're wearing cool uniforms. Sorry, I just had to put it in there. <laughs> even, even the orange ones look better. Um, <laughs> Everything looks better when you win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're starting to pound people 59 to 7 and things like that. They're going to get there, you know. And as he gets more and more of his guys into the program and he develops those three-star guys into four-star players, Virginia Tech will look better and better and better, and, and, and it'll build on itself. Now, the other thing that um, – We've run a lot of articles lately, basically, and, and we've even talked about it on the podcast here, saying that, you know, recruiting in the state of Virginia 
isn't what it used to be in terms of stocking your team with players. And and I don't mean that Virginia Tech isn't getting enough of the – they're not getting as many as they used to. That's also true. Um, but, you know, Chris has done a, an, an in-depth analysis. And, you know, 15 years ago, Tech was recruiting guys that were ranked between 10 and, 10 and 20 in the state of Virginia. And these guys, a lot of these guys were having great college careers and even going on to the NFL. There's not much of that going on now. There's almost no one, as we've talked about, coming out of Southwest Virginia, Roanoke, Lynchburg. These are places, even Richmond isn't that great anymore. Cleveland Farrell accepted. You know, so the talent isn't coming out of Virginia like it used to, and the higher-end talent is tending to go somewhere else. And from that standpoint, it's 1985 all over again. So what that all boils down to is we sit here and we say, you know, I always thought that one of Frank's uh, failures as a coach was they did a great job recruiting in state, but when he elevated the stature of the program, he didn't start adding great players from out of state. He never quite took that step. Well, here we are in a situation where I think this coaching staff does a very good job recruiting out of state. They're specifically targeting the state of North Carolina, but you can't come up bone dry in the state of Virginia. This is not a good thing that the talent in Virginia isn't what it used to be. I don't care how many people are, how many teams are coming in here and competing for it and all that. I don't care that UVA's recruiting profile has fallen off. If the bulk of players isn't there, there aren't many good programs in this country that don't have a strong in-state recruiting base. Is the point I'm making, and the state of Virginia's recruiting base has gotten weaker. So yeah, I, I think agree. all these things. Yeah, and I'll go in a different direction. I, I think each school has a recruiting ceiling to a certain extent. You know, I'm doing a study, and I have not published this yet. Uh, I've got to, I'm going to go back and change some of the math on some of my formulas to try to get a better comparison between some schools. But basically, I've gone back 10 years and looked at recruiting rankings. And it's generally the same 15 to 20 schools that rank in the top 15 in recruiting every single year. You know, so what's the saying? It's a zero-sum game. Yeah. For Virginia Tech to move in and be a top 15 recruiting school, somebody's got to fall out of. Who's going to fall out? Is Penn State going to fall out? Well, guess what? Not while James Franklin's there. Is Georgia going to fall out? No, they're, you know, Alabama's not. Florida State's not. Doesn't look like Clemson's going The California schools aren't. Right, right. typically get rated highly. Correct. So who's going to fall out of that fifteen top 15 for Virginia Tech to become a top 15 recruiting school? Because... No program over the last 20 years or so has won a national championship without recruiting in the, at, the, at a top 15 level. Oregon and got really Oregon close. Oregon got really close. Yeah. Clemson. Virginia Tech got close. I think Clemson's average class you know, over the last 10 years has been around 14th. Guess what? That's the lowest. Clemson's the lowest-ranked recruiting school to win a national championship yeah. over the last 20 years or so. And they've got a really good coaching staff. And they've got a really good coaching staff on top of that. Um, so it, it, it's going to be tough to, to break through. And I th- like I said, each school has a ceiling and it's based on a lot of, a lot of it is based on geography. And Frank Beamer always talked about the six hour radius and you want to recruit within your six hour radius. Well, you know, the fact that Virginia beach is barely within the six hour radius. says quite a bit where Virginia tech is located. I mean, Clemson is two hours from Atlanta, two hours from Charlotte. Uh, you know, there, there used to be a feature on rivals.com where you could type in, uh, your, your zip code and see how many three or four or five star recruits or whatever were within 100 miles of your zip code or within 250 miles or whatever. And I wish they still had that feature so I could actually publish my research. But I actually did that one time and ran some of the numbers. And, you know, there was like nine three star recruits within 100 miles of Blacksburg. And there was like 75 or 100 within 100 miles of Clemson. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. I mean, so I think I think Virginia Tech is capped from a re- recruiting standpoint. I do. I, I don't think they can. I don't. They, they're never going to be able to consistently sign top ten classes on a year to year basis. Uh, Not unless they're doing something really crooked. And, yeah, yeah. and so that's kind of a sidebar to what you're saying is when Ole Miss was suddenly t- signing top five classes. Yeah, out of we nowhere. Saw, yeah, we oh, saw what on. happened to them. I mean, it was fairly obvious what they were doing, and then yeah. yes, well, guess what? That came out. That was actually what they were doing. Uh, Carolina's only signed like one top 15 class ever. Yeah. And that was under Butch Davis. I think they signed the ninth ranked class in the country one year. And, and that's when they were being and, crooked. And guess what? They were cheating their tails off. Yeah. I mean, and as time has proven. So whenever you see somebody break into that group, a newcomer, uh, and, and they come out of nowhere, there's generally a reason for it. 
what kind of infrastructure can Virginia Tech add or invest in? And, and, and not just in terms of buildings, but mm-hmm. in terms of staff or people and methods. Yeah. And... What what kind of infrastructure can Virginia Tech add at this point to maybe increase that cap a little bit or to get closer to that cap on a more consistent basis? Uh, the first thing I would point to is athletic dorms. Cushy dorms. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, Tech's... I know you've made the point several times that a lot of Florida State players live in apartments that are nicer than your house. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, they absolutely do. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, Like, I'm not a big fan of the $55 million thing Clemson's got going on. Eh, yeah. You know, where do the kids live? I, when I, they go home at night, what's it like? I think know? there's a... There's, where's the point of diminishing return, right? Like, Clemson built all that money, and their players now have a swimming pool. They've got a slide. Mini golf. Mini golf, a barber shop, a nap room. I can a use, nap room. Hey, well, with like that's an investment we need here at yeah, TSL. Yeah. We need yeah, a nap right, room. Right. So you get, you got to be careful that when you give recruits all these all this stuff, all this fluff that has nothing to do with football, is it's not. if anything, it's going to soften them up. I, I think Florida State has, has gotten a lot softer as a program. The 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 fur, the more they've recruited with their new cushy new. How about dorms. Texas? The more amenities Texas got, the worse they got. So you know, it's not. I mean, obviously, correlation does not equal causation in this in this case. It, it doesn't necessarily, but it's at least something that's worth bringing up. So you've got to you've got to find that that happy medium. I mean, and a lot of these schools have so much money that. They don't know what to do with, so you just spend it on a bunch of junk like that, and I, I think that's kind of pointless. I, I I would like to see Virginia Tech get get some kind of new dorms that they can show off. Uh, well, also the athlete training table that they're going to put in uh, the yeah. Bowman. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great. big deal. It right? is. It, yeah, I really do believe that is another thing yeah. too. And that that doesn't get a lot of play, but that's important. Yeah. Definitely. Another thing too is is that like when you look at Virginia Tech's support staff, recruiting staff, whatever you want to call it, they've got, what, three full-time guys, and I, I that's think it? Four, I think it's four, Is it four? four or five now. But, but I mean, c- compare that support staff to Bama or Ohio State or Penn State or, or even a Michigan. It's, it's pretty small. I think as far as Thomas Gary's and John Yezzy's and, and Chuck Canner's and guys like that, I think, I think Tech has plenty of them. It's the guys I'd like to see them add, or the the you know like Clemson. I, I remember reading this article a couple of years ago. They have Brad Scott on their staff, and they're paying him a, him a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to evaluate talent. And this guy's know? a former coordinator, and he was head coach at South head Carolina. Coach at South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, that's some serious football acumen. I look mean, at, Steve look. Sarkeesian was an offensive consultant for Bama, and he's now the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, so, so, yeah. <laughs> so these guys really know what they're looking at when they look at film, you know, and, and look at Clemson's hit rate, even though their um, recruiting rankings aren't super high. The uh, Yeah, they've been getting some great players, but they've also really hit with some other guys that nobody thought was were all they're that They're kind of like Stanford in terms of hit rate. Clemson's going to hit on a lot more of their targets than, than the average program yeah, one, and Stanford and that's, that's does how, the same thing. And that's how Tech was in the mid-2000s. They got on a roll there for a while where a lot of guys, almost everybody they were recruiting was contributing. That Clemson running back that's so fast, what's his name, Atian? ATN, yeah, ATN, Travis ATN. Yeah, he, you know he's one of those borderline three star, four star guys. Some people have him a four star. Some people had him as a three star. He's not. He's not a dynamic. He was not a dynamic top fifty type talent. I don't believe. So I don't know what Clint, I don't know what Brad Scott does day in day out. But he's a guy. He doesn't have to coach on game days. He can actually go watch high school football. You know, and, yeah. and, and actually, and and any coach will tell you highlight films don't tell you jack. Yeah. What it really matters is when you actually go see a kid play in person, see him before, see him during the game, and see him after. You know. Yeah, and watch whole, and watch game film, like complete game film. Yeah. What does he What does play. he do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, or he's not the focus of yeah, the play? Yeah. Is he carrying out his play fakes? Is, is Is he blocking? You know, things like that. Is, is he hustling? Is he stopping before the play is over? I mean, there's just so many different things you can tell uh, about a about a recruit. Um, and if you've got a guy like Scott with so much experience doing that, and that's all he does for you, that's, that's a big advantage. Yeah. I, I, so I think Tech has enough regular 
recruiting guys, you know, you know like Gary and Cantor and, and Yezzy. I mean, and those guys do a fantastic job organizing events. Uh, a lot of work goes into that. Photoshopping, managing Twitter, uh, just, right. just dealing with the massive data. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of Gary's top jobs since he got hired was establishing Virginia Tech's presence on social media, and I think we'd all agree he's done a great job yeah. of doing that. Yep. Hokies um, FB has definitely gotten all yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, they've got to be careful of how many recruiting guys they add because – the more people you add, the more different opinions that you're going to have. And, you know, you're more likely to to have different opinions on a prospect. And, and you know, there's just – you don't need but so many guys. But it would be nice to have a Brad Scott, somebody like that. I want to go ahead and – before we wrap up the whole recruiting conversation, I want to talk about a couple guys left on Tech's board for the 18 class. Obviously, like we said, it's almost done at this point. There's not many spots left. Um, so I, I want to go through a list here really quick, and, and you guys just go ahead and tell me how you really feel about them. We'll start with K.J. Henry, obviously, five-star defensive end from Carolina. He visited officially for the UNC game. Uh, Tech is in his kind of top group with uh, Clemson, Alabama, South Carolina, and Georgia. Uh, Chris, how are you feeling on that one right now? I mean, I don't feel great. I've, I've always felt like good. I th- well, I think Tech has done as good of a job as they could possibly do with KJ yeah. Henry, considering the stature of the programs that they're recruiting against. Um, and I and I and he comes from a good family. You know, his dad's a college coach. I loved reading an interview with him this past week where he said, "You know, once you get to college, stars don't matter. It's, you got you got to work your tail off. You you don't earn. You know, you've got to earn it. Nothing's given to you, and it, you just don't see a lot of five-star guys saying that in recruiting interviews these days. So I really like K.J. Henry. I think he's going to end up a, a little bit deeper south, but but he's real real close to his family, though, and of all the major schools recruiting him, Virginia Tech is the closest. So I, I think Tech will be in it until the end. Another one who officially visited for this this past weekend was Dax Hollifield, a four-star kid from Carolina. Tech's been on him from the beginning. Tech's been in his top group from the beginning. Uh, I think he's visited Virginia Tech over 10 times at this point unofficially. Like I said, he visited officially for the UNC game. Are you are you feeling still confident with Dax? Tech has heard, and I've heard from different and sources, that it's VT and Stanford right now. Now, on the other hand, I got information yesterday uh, that Dax told a UNC academic advisor type that uh, it was UNC or Stanford. Um, mm. But, but, but... In general, from the very beginning of his recruitment, Virginia Tech's been the most consistent team in it. You know, for a while, Florida State wasn't being considered. For a while, North Carolina didn't seem like they were a factor. South Carolina, South Carolina seemed to be the team to beat for a while. And now it, they're all right, it's always either Virginia Tech or UNC, Virginia Tech or South Carolina, Virginia Tech or Stanford, Virginia Tech or Florida State. Virginia Tech is the one consistent uh, throughout his, his recruitment. So uh, I think it will end well for Virginia Tech when it comes to Dax. If you get Dax Hollifield, do you still want to take Keyshawn Artis, who is a high three-star, depending on where you look, possibly a four I out of out of Chesapeake. He's down to his top three with NC State, Central Florida, and Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, it all depends on when he wants to make his decision. I, I would certainly take him, but, you know, if he waits until – January 28th or something like that, like some guys do, there's not going to be enough room in the class by then. So, uh, and, you know, I think a lot of it depends on who you think you can get. And these days they're actually limited to 25 signees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't at this point. Didn't used to be that way. That's right. That's right. So you just say, oh, take them all. Yeah. Sort it out later. (laughs) Sort it out later. Who do you you gray shirt? You know, (laughs) but uh, that's not, that's not the, that's not the case anymore. So it's a lot harder to, uh, to make the numbers work these days, so to speak. So, you know, there might be a – you know, there's probably, what, six, seven, eight guys left that we'd all really love to have, but we're probably only going to – probably can only take about four of them. How about James Mitchell, who's a wide receiver tight end type out of southwest Virginia? Again, he, I think it's the same thing for Mitchell. Uh, you know, I think considering the position he plays, I don't think he's as – I like James Mitchell at all, and he's an in-state recruit, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm looking down on James Mitchell or don't like his talent. I really him. like his, his – Yeah, yeah, I like James Mitchell. I think yeah. he can be a good player for Virginia Tech. But look at the position he plays. He's going to play the uh, – Bucky Hodges, the Buc- Drake Dulius type Yeah, role. yeah, Dalton Keene, Dalton that Keen, type. So. And, you know, well, see, here's, here's the thing. I don't, think he's a, I don't think he's a Dalton Keene. I don't think he's a guy you can put in the backfield – you think he's rely on as a blocker, more of an inline guy. He, or? Well, no, I think he's more of a a Bucky type player. He's six five. He's about two o two ten. Right. 
He's, okay. I don't think he's a guy that you can throw at that H-back spot like a Dalton Keene, who's yeah. a guy. Dalton Keene's, what, 6'5", 230. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he and he has blocking experience. Right. Whereas I think James Mitchell's more right. of a, just a big wide receiver. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, they were – Keene's a little taller than Mitchell, but at the, at the same stage, they weighed about the same. So I, I don't know. But at any rate, if you just consider the guys who can catch the football that are 6'3 or taller, I mean, Virginia Tech has so many of those guys in this class already, plus plus Hazleton, who came in last year. And, Who's another know, bigger receiver. Yeah, exactly. So I, personally, I, I – I'd like to find an extra offensive lineman if, if we possibly could. I wanted to hit I, on that, yeah. I, you know, if we could find an extra defensive tackle or a defensive end, I'd certainly be open to that. I mean, I don't want to turn anybody, any of those guys away, but, you know, you have to decide on what, what, what's more important to your program. And I, but I still, at the same time, Virginia Tech's not at the point of their program, not at the point where they can turn away a talented player. It, it's kind of Just like, for numbers' sake? Y- yeah, yeah, you know, just for numbers' sake. I mean, if, I think if, at this point, if you can add talent to the program, you always – take the more talented player within reason. You have to have a certain number of offensive linemen or defensive linemen on the team and things like that. It's it's like, you know, buzz over recruits the guard and wing positions, you, you know. To, but, a, to a fault. To a fault, probably. <laughs> yeah. But but at the same time. He's getting good ones. <laughs> he's, getting, he's, he's getting good ones. And, you know, when he got here, and even up to this point, you know, this is Virginia Tech basketball. All right, we just made our first NCAA tournament since 2007. And there's not very many good bigs, honestly. So, wh- who do you really? It's really take? hard to find a talented. Yeah, big yeah. These you days. know, the guy with skill or the big lumbering. Or, you know, I'm, he's taken some bigs before. You know, took Satchel Pierce. Satchel Pierce wasn't good enough. Okay. I mean, Hadim C's. Hadim C wasn't good enough. I mean, I, I don't know if I even trust Buzz's evaluation of bigs at this point. So this has turned into a basketball. Yes, right? yes, it has. Right, and I don't know how it got into that. But let's get back on topic. Yeah. Um, last the, the last thing I wanted to bring up was Luke Tenuta and um, Rasheed Walker, both of whom were offensive tackles. Obviously, Luke Tenuta has a connection to the UVA program, but UVA is not in, in, really in the conversation anymore in terms of his recruitment. How important is it that Tech gets at least one of those guys? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the more alignment, the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I would love to get him Tech in the has, fold and keep McFadden. Uh, well, I was just yeah. about to say, yeah, Tech has three offensive linemen right now for this class, if you include Christian Derisaw, who signed – Last year, but is, is in not which case roll. they would only have one offensive lineman for last year's class. Although, let's see, well, yeah, yeah, so you have lineman. to include Aiden Brown and Silas Danzi right. who enrolled last That's year. That's why I think it's important to, to look at offensive line recruiting over a two year stretch. You try to sign eight guys within two classes, is, is what I think. So, something to. I cannot find, I tried to find this once. I remember when Tech hired Justin Fuente somewhere, it was either in a video interview or in print. Fuente said he likes to have 17 offensive linemen in the program. Am I making that up, Chris, or do you remember that? Uh, I, I remember something like that. Although, at the same time, I asked him after his very first signing day when they signed five offensive linemen, I said, is that going to be a normal number of offensive linemen for you? And he said, no, nah, it's probably a little high. Well, that so, would be, you know, over a five-year stretch, that would be 25 guys, right, yes, which is yes, high. correct. So I, I wish I could find that quote. And so – you know, I think if you want to look at this stuff, let's assume he said that, and that's how, that's what he believes that he actually put a number on it. Go count the number of offensive linemen in the program, you know, and and where are we, and and how are they spread out, and if you're Justin Fuente and you believe in seventeen, where is that number? Right. Personally, just after I, I because if you guys don't remember, I did a, an extensive offensive line recruiting yes. kind of in depth thing in terms of the ACC. In those schools that recruit offensive linemen the best, usually average seven offensive linemen over two years. So the way I see it, if you can get three in one year and four the next, or four in one year and three the next, you're usually doing a good job just in terms of numbers. And I feel like Virginia Tech needs at least one more offensive lineman in order to keep the numbers up. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right with that. And recruiting offensive linemen, I I think it's quality and quantity are both important, but recruiting offensive linemen is just so incredibly Hard. It's a lot of projection. Yeah, it's a lot of projection because you don't know how guys are going to grow and, and develop and how well they're going to move their feet after they do put on, you know, 30, 40, sometimes even 50 pounds. Um, so that's why I think it's important to bring in more uh, because it gives yourself a higher percentage chance of, of succeeding. But at the same time, you don't want to reach and bring in a guy that you don't really like just for numbers' sake. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's it, recruiting offensive line is the toughest thing to do in college football. Look at Florida State. Florida State can recruit anybody they want. Except on the offensive line, it seems. <laughs> the, Hutch, uh, who's the kid from North Carolina that we wanted really bad a couple years ago? Uh from Western North Carolina, he's been starting. I mean, he was a for five, some reason the name Landon Turner comes Landon, to mind. Is that Landon, him? Or? It was Landon. It wasn't Landon Turner. He went to North Carolina. Landon That's Dickerson. What, Dickerson. Yeah. Okay. And he was a dominant player. Had offers from everybody. His grandfather played at Virginia Tech. Loved Virginia Tech. Of course, he went to Florida State. You know, like everybody else. <laughs> sweet dorms. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sweet dorms. But you know, they got him. They've got a proven offensive line coach. You know, Rick Trickett is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country, and they can recruit four-star and five-star players, and they still can't block anybody. Their offensive line's bad. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, that's you, unless you're Alabama, I mean, apparently Nick Saban knows some kind of secret formula. Or Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin's and, got something going on. And, yeah, and yeah. Iowa. Iowa's another school that always seems like they have really good offensive linemen. Right. But let's go and put a wrap on the recruiting. I want to get into the Duke preview because – this is a really important game, and at this point, all of these ACC Coastal games are going to be important. The, the, the situation that Virginia Tech is in at this point, you almost have to, and I think we all agree, you almost have to win out in, in order to give yourself a, a, a you know a chance to win the ACC Coastal. But um, the first thing I want to hit on in this preview is that Daniel Jones seems like he's regressed a little bit. You know, I, I asked Bud Foster about it on Tuesday, and he didn't think so. Obviously, he would never say that publicly. Yeah, but the stats prove it. The but, stats say yeah, otherwise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. His, yeah, I mean his, um, his his touchdown percentage is down. Uh, his completion percentage is down. Is down from 62% to 54%. Yeah, and, and that's it, significant. Well, that and, and his yards per carry is also down. So he's not as being he's not being as effective yards on the ground. Yards per carry or c- carry, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yards per carry, it's, it's down to what it was in 2016. So he's not even being as effective as he was on the ground. His overall ESPN QBR is down from like 62 to 42. Mm. So you're talking about a 33% drop-off, basically. You know, one-third drop-off. And he's just not as good. I don't think they have as good of weapons as they used to. You know, Yeah, he, but, who, but who's missing from last year? From last year. That would explain that. that that's a good point. Uh, from last year, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, obviously, Jameson Crowder's been in the NFL for a few years. McCaffrey, Max McCaffrey, did not play for them last year. He he was on an NFL practice squad last year and is actually on the Packers practice squad right now. Um, With Gerard Evans. With Gerard Evans, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think there's more to it than that, but I I don't think Duke overall has as much talent on the outside as as they did with Jamison Crowder and McCaffrey and things like that. What causes that? Because I I feel like Duke has consistently gotten better at recruiting under David Cutcliffe, but but what causes that kind of um, absence in in offensive talent, especially at the skill position? They're still not recruiting at a high enough level where it's not a crapshoot. When you're recruiting three-star kids – you know, especially mid-level to lower-level three-star kids, it's it's a crapshoot. Um, you know, Wake Forest is a perfect. You know, Wake Forest won one recruiting class. You know, they're getting Aaron Curry, who's the number four overall pick in the draft, Alfonso Smith, who's a second-round pick, and all these guys are defensive players, and they won the ACC with them. And you know, a couple years later, they sign this, a guy just like Aaron Curry, a three-star recruit with probably four or five offers, and guess what? He's nowhere near as good as Aaron Curry. He was not picked number yeah. one in the NFL draft. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so uh, I think it's. I think if you're recruiting in those mid-levels, it becomes a crapshoot, and that's why I think it's important to break into that top fifteen. Well, once you get in the, uh, once you become a consistent top fifteen recruiting school, then you're going to have more talent than everybody. I, don't, I think it's less of a crapshoot because everybody. I think it's easier. Those higher-rated guys are higher-rated for a reason because it, at the age of 16, 17, they're bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. Whereas, you know, a three-star recruit, you might be 6'3", 175 instead of 6'3", 205. Now, that means you might be good in two or three years, but you might not be good right away. Or maybe you're not going to be good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's just a lot harder to say, stay consistent when you're recruiting at in the 40s or 50s level like Duke is right now. You never know what you're getting. It's just baffling to me because David Cutcliffe is such a good offensive mind. I, I never thought I'd see the day where a Duke quarterback, I don't really care what's surrounding him. We are talking this far into the program when the Cut- Cutcliffe's stamp is clearly on the program. I never thought I'd see a Duke quarterback with a 54% completion percentage. You know, you look at what Fuente does, his guys complete – 
Let's go further back in the past. I've studied this stuff, and man, I think one of Virginia Tech's quarterbacks completed 62 or 63% of his passes under Frank Beamer. It may have been Brian Randall one year, and that was way high. But for a guy like Fuente, that's a little bit below average, you know, and and also for a guy like Cutcliffe, it just surprises me to see that low of a completion percentage. I I think they might be putting a little too much on Jones. You know, I, I watched their game against Miami, and I watched their game against Virginia. And they messed up a lot of protection calls that I'm pretty sure were his, was his fault. Hmm. So I, I think maybe there maybe there was less on his plate last year, and maybe there's more. Yeah, because he was plate. a redshirt freshman right, last right, year, right. and now he's in his third year in the program. Yeah, exactly. And there was no film on him last year. Remember, uh, their starting quarterback got hurt, so yeah. he came in, and you know there just wasn't a lot of film on him until later in the season. And I, now, to be fair, later in the season, Virginia picked him off five times in one game, and. He only completed, we'll see, he threw for 148 yards and 31 pass attempts against Virginia Tech. So it's not like he was a dominant player the whole season for him. As the season went on, he was a little bit less effective, I, I think. Um, so the film is out, and I think maybe there's more on his plate this year because he's older, and maybe he was just wasn't ready to handle it yet. And we know that at Duke he is going to class. You know, he's got academics. That's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You're never gonna never veiled never. shot. <laughs> Will, how worried are you in terms of the, the the Virginia Tech offense, which looked a little sluggish versus North Carolina, looked a little sluggish versus uh, Boston College, still dealing with some injury concerns? Are you worried at all that they could really, really not look all that great versus Duke's defense, which you know to Duke's credit is is relatively good this year? Yeah, you know uh, we we just finished putting together our game preview and, and Chris ran the numbers on it and Duke is the second best defense Tech has faced so far this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. I don't know it's not even Behind, close. Yeah, it's there's a lot of bad defenses Tech has played. No, Boston College had some talent. Their defensive ends were really good in particular. I'd, I'd take those guys. They're a tough defense, but they're not necessarily good a across good the defense. board right yeah, now. Yeah, so, so Duke statistically has a good defense. Great? No. Good, though. Uh, better than what Tech is used to facing. Um. And, and then there's all the things, and I hesitate to say these next things because there's always the harumph crowd, you know. It's like, it's it's going to, it's a close to 100% chance of rain Saturday night, 40 degrees. And then the harumph crowd says, harumph, both teams will play to be playing in that weather, you know. Um, I, I, but the, my point is these are unknown factors that uh, Tech's had, you know, really good weather so far for their games, for their home games. And road games, I think, also. So how are they going to, you know, this is a team that doesn't run between the tackles very well at all, Virginia Tech. What if they have to start uh, running between the tackles Saturday night? They're going to be ready to? They're going to They're going to do it okay? You know, there's a lot of unknowns swimming around this game that have got me concerned about it because they are going up against a well-coached team where the coach is, is established there. He's been there a while. And Duke's 4-4 four and four with four losses in a row, but they're not getting blown out. They're losing by a touchdown each time. Well, is Saturday night going to be the night where they win by a touchdown? You know? Yeah, statistically, if you think about it, there's only one area where Duke is better or arguably better than Virginia Tech, and that's running the football. Right. That's the only area. Their two running backs average. come in handy when you have a chance for 100% right. chance. Of, I, I think their running backs average 5.2 and 5.9 yards. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really good back, uh, backs. Sean Wilson and Britton Brown, they're really good players. And their quarterback can run the ball, too. Daniel Jones ran for 99 yards on Virginia Tech last year. And Tech still managed to win the game. So, yeah, there's certainly some things that, that worry me about this matchup. And, you know, it's – going to be raining it's going to be cold i don't think many people are going to be there uh you know relatively speaking this this will probably be the lowest attended game of the year i think so too tech fans for years complained about too many noon games but now you see them complaining about a 720 game and i I don't i don't get it but uh the, the game is nowhere close to selling out if you look on hokie sports see a lot of tickets for sale on our ticket board um the last time tech had a a game where it rained a lot at home. There was 40, 2015 000. Pittsburgh. <laughs> there was 40,000 people there. Now, granted, they had just sat through the late rain last week against East Carolina, and that was not a fun team to watch. This is a much more fun team to watch. But I don't think you're going to see a great crowd for whatever reason. And uh, there's also the fact that this is between UNC and Miami. So there's a lot of things that worry me about this game. If, if there's, if there's going to be – a 2017 version of, I'll say Georgia Tech because we played Georgia Tech at home last year. It would be this Duke game. I don't think it's going to be Pitt. 
because I don't think Pitt's good enough, and and that's the only other home game left on the schedule. Um, so you you could be looking at this one being your Georgia Tech game. Now, obviously, this Duke team is not as good as that Georgia Tech team was last year. They won nine games. Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the over-unders portion of this. So, obviously, we did not pick any over-unders last week because or, or excuse yes, me, we did. it was the weekend before the UNC game. So, the, the record stayed the same going into that. Last week, we picked uh, the first over-under was Cam or Sean Savoy over 100 yards. Neither of them came close. Will and Chris smartly took the under on that. I took the over, so that's a loss for me. Uh, one and a half interceptions by UNC quarterbacks. Will smartly took the over. Chris and I took the under. So I was over two last I, week. I blame the tech defense for knocking Chaz Surratt out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was their interception machine. Uh, Brandon Harris was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. So I'm still I'm at four and six now. I lost both uh, last week. Chris is five and five. And Will, you are seven and three, firmly in the lead right now. You've got, um, yeah, you've got a, a week's That's worth a of points. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. It is pretty healthy at this point. So for this week, uh, the first one I want to do, and Chris, this was your suggestion. Daniel Jones over under completing fifty percent of his passes. He's done that two out of the last four weeks, and, 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 and the other two he hasn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm going to go under on that. So two of the last four weeks, he's completed fewer than 50% of his passes. And one of the two games where he did complete 50% of his passes, he was 21 of 41. So barely. Just barely. <laughs> yeah, that is barely. And he's going up against a Virginia Tech defense that is first in the country in opposing pass completion at 47.37, something like that. And it's going to be kind of rainy, not not warm. So I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under on that as well. I just, I, I don't, you know, he hasn't been great all year. The weather's not going to be all that great. Tech's defense has been pretty good against opposing quarterbacks the year, this year, especially through the air. I'm going to take the under on that as well. Well, regardless of what I think, this isn't about being right. It's about winning. So I would be foolish to pick different than you guys pick. So, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm going under as well. But I'll tell, tell you how he might go over. If, if Duke really does decide to just pound, pound the, the rock and run the football. 15 pass attempts. Uh, yeah, Tech will, Tech will pull up close to the line to defend the run. And, you know, maybe uh, Cutcliffe gets some guys open and, and he completes eight or nine out of 15. That's how who, That's how I can see him going over. So you got to start asking Will the question first. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, that's All a good right. – ask the leader the question first. All right, well, here we go then. We'll ask you this one. So, anyway, I'm going under for the record. Okay, over under at nine and a half carries for everybody's favorite running back, Coleman Fox, who is second on the team in rushing yards. Under because uh, Fox has been basically playing when Tech is up by a lot, right, or down by – didn't he play against Clemson? Yeah. Yeah. He came in uh, in the third quarter yeah. against Clemson. yeah. Um, it seemed like he worked in a bit earlier than normal versus Carolina. Without looking at the stats, I would say under on the nine and a half carries, but I will say this. I'd love to see that guy get some carries earlier in the game. Yes, I'm kicking the dead horse underneath the table. I would love <laughs> to see that guy run the football earlier in the game. So if he winds up going over, I'll be pleased because it means he'll run it earlier in the game, but I'm going under. I don't. I think I'm going under also. You know, I know they're, they're talking about that he could – get more carries you know they're getting questions about it but until he actually does i, I don't i i can't pick the over yeah here's the thing with with this whole situation it, it it seems like it's blatantly obvious that he should at least get a shot earlier in the game mm-hmm. but it's also blatantly obvious that the coaches aren't all keen on doing that just by judging from tone and action in the game there's got to be a reason for it exactly right? yeah. and the, uh, we don't know what their reasons are but they've got them the, the other the other thing too is that i think stephen peoples is going to come back for this week he, i'm i'm confident that he will uh, i saw I, him monday when i was walking in for interviews he walked into uh merriman center uh right next to me and he was not in a boot and he was not limping and didn't we hear that he could have played last yes, weekend yes, he was yeah. he was available on a an emergency basis versus north carolina so i have a feeling he's going to play I'd be shocked if Stephen Peoples and Tr- Trayvon McMillan do not get a lion's share of the carries this week. So I'm going to go under on that as well. So that means we have another boring week of over-unders, <laughs> the same three picks. We, ne- we need to really start changing that up. Uh, Chris, go ahead and give me your uh, prediction for the game real quick and how you see it playing out. I think I picked it 24-13, to Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, I just think Duke's defense is good. Virginia Tech's offense is very young. Uh, it's going to be raining. I, I just think we're – it's going to be kind of a sloppy game i think it's going to have a bc type of feel to it um but 
because of Duke's offense. I mean, they're only averaging 13 points a game over their last four. One of those touchdowns was actually a defensive touchdown, so when you throw that out, they're averaging less than 12 points a game over their last four, which is actually slightly less than Carolina was averaging coming in <laughs> coming into the game. I just don't see Duke's offense being able to do much. Will? Uh, in our preview, I picked 24-17 to 17 Hokies. Uh, Chris makes some good points about um, Duke having trouble scoring lately, so I'm not sure where they're going to get their 17 from, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's what I'm going with. My whole reasoning in picking Duke to get 14 is I just don't think they'll have three scoring drives. I think that three scoring drives you know, might I, be a little tough. I, I was originally going to pick them to score seven or ten, but I gave them an extra three or six because of their coaching staff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to not give yeah. that. I'm going to go with 23-14. I think this will look a lot like the Boston College game, except that I don't think Tech will get into the red zone as much. I think that they might have to rely on Joey Sly to kick a couple long field goals. And I don't feel like that you'll have the, the feeling in the Boston College game where the game was never out of – or the, 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 the result of the game was never in question. Right. I think you will have that feeling on Saturday for at least a good portion of Well, the that's game. been the pattern for the last four years. Well, the, the, and actually I wrote this down, So, and, and this has been kind of a motto for the, for the team this week apparently. The last four games, a combined score, Duke 95, Virginia Tech 94. Yeah. For the last four years. So this has been a closed series for the last four games. Yeah, and, and Virginia Tech has not beaten Duke in Lane Stadium since 2012. D- Duke has won the Man, last that's two. that's crazy. Duke, and, and they got up to a 20 to nothing lead Yeah, in that's that the one where Duke was leading 20 nothing, and Tech scored, what, 49 in a row? 41 unanswered, I think, to, win, to win 41-20. Yeah. But then they beat Tech in Lane in 2013 and 2015. So the last two minutes, who would have ever thought Duke would have I, won I remember Lane Stadium that. twice both, in a row? Both those games were just miserable experiences. I, I read that game recap where – Duke beat uh, Tech 13-10, was it? I think it was 13-10. And, and Logan, Logan threw four, four interceptions. But so did their quarterback. The, yeah. Both quarterbacks threw four. But Logan's were in worse spots <laughs> on the were, field, red were. zone and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Ugh. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Remember, if you haven't already read the game preview that all three of us put together, but mainly Chris, if you haven't read that game preview, go read it now. It's on TSL. It's very easy to find. We'll have a ton of uh, coverage for the game. Obviously, I'll have my game recap afterwards. And on Sunday, I'll have my game notes, which adds a little bit more to the game to give you a little bit more insight. Um, and, yeah, that's all we've got for Anything you all want to add before we go ahead and sign off here? No, thank you. All right, that's good. Thanks, folks, for listening, and we'll see you next week.